1: This is Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from thought leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to address societal topics, and more importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the game changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, I won't sing it, but those of you as old as I am will remember these lyrics. School days, school days, dear old golden rule days, reading and writing and arithmetic taught by the tune of the hickory stick. Anybody remember that? Shout out if you do. Anyway, let's talk about education today. All children start out with the same passions, imagination, And a desire to learn. Okay, that's a given. That's universal. But according to UNESCO's Education for All Global Monitoring Report, and I quote, ensuring that all children access upper secondary education by the year 2030, will remain beyond the grasp of the international community unless priorities are reconsidered. That's a heavy-duty, loaded statement. 2030 is how many years from now? I don't know, 15 years from now? Not that far away. Priorities need to be reconsidered. So let's talk about how this is going to come about. Is easy access to education around the world Only the responsibility of parents, governments, and schools? Or does the private sector have a role to play? And if so, what should their role be? What are they willing to do? What do we expect from them? Excuse me. And how can they do it? And on the other side of this education, of this equation we're looking for, Will there be enough jobs available for the youth who do finally get an education? Why bother unless there's something for them to do with it to become contributing members of society wherever they are? We have a a panel of three experts who are going to weigh in on this very important topic. Our topic today is technology and education, empowering youth worldwide. Very, very important topic. So to all of our global listeners, welcome, and let me get started introducing our panel. First up, we're delighted to welcome Kareem Ramji. Those of you who want to look him up, the last name is R-A-M-J-I. He's a senior advisor and consultant for Deloitte Canada. And Kareem has sent me the following quote from Nelson Mandela, and I quote, Education is the most powerful weapon you can use to change the world. Wow. Kareem Ramji, welcome. How are you today?
2: Great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you. I love the Mandela quote. It couldn't be more perfect for our topic. So, Kareem, tell me how you came to pick it. If you're a fan of quotables from Mandela, I know he has quite a few, and how it relates to our topic of what are we going to do to educate everybody around the world easily and the role technology plays. Go ahead.
2: Well, I think you hit it on the head. I love uh, good quotes. I love Mandela quotes. And when you're starting to think of uh, really important topics, I always go back to well, what are the smart people saying? What, are, what inspirational things that can I get from them? So I certainly picked up on the Mandela quote, uh, certainly because a couple of reasons. Uh, we know education does change fundamental life. It changes your food, your clothing, your shelter, the fundamentals that you need in life every day. Education has a direct impact on that. But when you start thinking about Mandela's quote, it's not just about the education. It's the journey for education, which is really important. So when you start thinking about it, when contemporary life today, you start thinking about the Malala, the, the segregation in Africa and the Americas and how education has changed that. And, you know, even the student uprisings in the Arab Spring and China, so on and so forth. Uh, so education has made a difference for that and has made a change in the world. And, uh, and that's why it really resonated for Thank me in this topic.
0: Thank you very much, kareem. Good introduction. Uh, I, I think talking about education globally may have all kinds of political undertones and sidebars that we 're not really going to talk about in terms of how do you educate certain people in certain countries as far as the history of their culture and what they need to know about the rest of the world and educating them to become global citizens? But as I said, that's a sidebar for another show. So thank you so much, and I'm very pleased with your quote. And Kareem is going to sit it out for a second here while I bring on our second panelist. His name is Ocean Walton. I have to spell the first name. It's a new spelling for me, O-I-S-I-N, Ocean Walton. He leads the Instant Network Program at Vodafone Foundation. He'll tell us a little more about that later. And here's a quote from Jean-Francois Casanevi. And uh, Ocean will also tell us who that is and why it's so important. Here's the quote. It's no longer a question of technology. It's a question of imagination. Love the quote. Ocean Walton, welcome to the show. How are you today?
3: Thank you, Bonnie. I'm very good. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. You're calling us all the way from, let's see, I think you're in the UK today. Where?
3: I'm in London.
0: And what's it doing in London? I hope you're having a good day there. What time of the day is it, Ocean?
3: It's around 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Almost tea time. We'll have you off the air in time for tea time, not to worry. So, Ocean, tell me, (laughs) who is Jean-Francois Cazenev? I love the name. It just has a ring to it. And why is this quote so important to our topic? Go ahead, Ocean.
3: So, Jean-Francois is the founder and president of Telecom Sans Frontieres who are the guys who invented the concept of telecoms in humanitarian aid. So they started in Bosnia and Kosovo in the early 90s using satellite phones at the time, offering free calls to people. Uh, now, we take it for granted today, uh, but uh, communications are really, really key in emergencies, and they came up with this very simple idea, but fantastic idea of of uh, providing communications in emergencies, and they're now... Uh, the leading, uh, NGO in, in emergency telecoms. Uh, the reason why I chose that quote is, uh, first of all, an homage to, to TSF. I used to work for them for, for seven years. They're a relatively small NGO. Uh, they have, uh, they're headquartered in France, uh, and they have bases in, in Thailand and, uh, Washington and Nicaragua. And, uh, the reason why I chose this quote is basically, uh, on the topic of, of technology and education, uh, it, it, the technology is really the enabler, and it's really what you make of the technology. You can do anything you want with technology today, um, and the technology is actually is, is going faster, the improvements, et cetera, than, than the education system and how you apply that technology. So um, it, I, I thought it was a, a very interesting uh, story beyond imagination. You need drive. You need to integrate the technology into processes, etc. But um, I, I just love this quote uh, from from uh, uh, from, from Jean Francois.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Interesting. We're talking about technology as an enabler, as a deliverer, a conduit, a carrier of education to the masses around the world. And then we're talking about the imagination you can use to use that technology for other things once you are educated through it. It's kind of almost like looking in the mirror and seeing a lot of reflections. Do Do you agree with that, Ocean?
3: definitely uh it, yeah I, I couldn't agree better i mean uh, there, there there's so much potential with the technology mm-hmm. today um whether it's software connectivity etc. uh you can do really everything you want uh it, it, it's a question of then integrating that into into the uh, into the process.
0: Thank you very much, and let's bring on our third panelist. She is waiting patiently. She is in Germany today. Her name is Alicia Lenze, L-E-N-Z-E. She's from SAP, and Alicia has sent me a wonderful Steve Jobs quote, and here we go. Technology alone is not enough. It's technology married with liberal arts, married with the humanities that yields us the results that make our hearts sing. I love it when my heart sings. Alicia Lenze, welcome. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fine. What time is it? Where are you in Germany right now, Alicia? I'm in Germany at SAP's headquarters in Waldorf. We are surviving
4: a long heat wave with no air conditioning and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Oh, you're such a trooper. And I have to mention that you're the head of global CSR. That's corporate social responsibility within corporate affairs at SAP. I want to give you your proper title there. Alicia, interesting quote from Steve Jobs. And I know it was, uh, there was a reference to it about Apple, but we peeled off the reference and it certainly is a wonderful standalone quote. So why don't you share with us your thoughts on how it relates to our topic today, technology and education. Go ahead.
4: Ab- absolutely. Well, I like this quote not just because I used to work at Apple, and it was definitely a defining time in my career development. But it also really sort of ignites the passions about what we care about and value in society. Um, And I found it really interesting, a lot of recent reactions in the media to efforts by corporations as well as the Obama administration to put more emphasis on STEM education. Um, there's been high-profile essays about the defense of a liberal education, and there's been interesting reactions to Obama's announcements to invest about $240 million in STEM programs. Um, I, myself, am a liberal arts major, but I've also worked in the tech industry for practically my whole career, and I absolutely think that innovation requires the diversity of skills and backgrounds that you get when you bring different people together, Um, but it's been interesting to watch the debate because I think it sort of takes a first-world bias about this topic and really, it doesn't really look at the incredible lack of diversity that we also see within the tech industries. Um, When you look around the world to the emerging markets, the massive problems around youth unemployment and the areas where job growth is going to come are really going to require these new skills. Um, And I don't think it's about putting necessarily, taking his quote and making it mean that, that liberal arts should go against STEM research. It's really about getting young people who need to have a future the skills they need so they can be a part of the digital economy.
0: So well put, Alicia. Very, very well. Thank you so much. And I have to do a side note here. I don't know if anybody knows it or if everybody doesn't know it, but Steve Jobs is one of the most famous top ten college dropouts who made it big in their lives, including Bill Gates, including Lady Gaga, including Buckminster Fuller. But the interesting story about Steve Jobs, and I researched this when I was looking up your quote, Alicia, is that he dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but he stuck around as a drop-in. For 18 months. Do you yep. know what he studied? Do you, do you remember what he studied? You probably noticed, Alicia. Remember the one topic that I made did, such a big difference?
4: I, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of the humanities, and I think calligraphy was something calligraphy. that was hugely influential on him, particularly as he you know, developed the whole new interface for the Mac uh, based exactly on you know, right. the visual elements there.
0: That's exactly right. He loved the the look of typography and the proper spacing of the letters. And I guess there was some lyricism in there, maybe some poetry. And he said that was a great influence when he was designing what fonts would look like on the Macintosh. Were they going to be just one or many? And that was the reason for the introduction of so much creativity in terms of such a a font base, a, a wide font base over the years of Apple. So yes, Alicia, I love that. Your quote sparked me. I love looking up quotes and I learned that about Steve Jobs, and it was very interesting. So thank you for uh, for a byproduct of educating me. Now, we're going to go back to Kareem Ramji, who is going to tell us what is in your cup today. This is our little storytelling segment, Kareem. We just want to know a little bit about you. So either what are you drinking right now, if it's interesting, or what are you dreaming about drinking after the show? Go ahead, Kareem. <laughs>
2: uh, well, I'm sort of... Uh... A little bit of difference between a drinker and a sipper, so because of the world that I live in uh, it has to be fairly fast and it's fairly quick and uh and we know that just from the technologies I think all three of us or four of us work in, so i'm an espresso drinker, I love a great espresso first thing in the morning I'll probably have a couple throughout the day, and it just makes sense to me because it's it's not a sipping drink you you have it you, it's quick, you enjoy it, and you move on, but at the end of the day it's you know, depending on the day and how large it's going to be, it's probably a single malt. <laughs> so <laughs> I like to think about that as well. And, and just to wind down that one, I will actually uh, sip a little bit more and, and just uh, reflect on uh, what happens today and certainly uh, a plan for the next day because that's that's what it's all about when you're you're a project manager and you're working in the field and you're working on on tough things that uh, you got a plan. So it's uh, a little bit of sipping, it's a little bit of drinking.
0: I love it. I've never heard it stated quite that eloquently, but I have to ask you, can you tell us honestly how many espressos a day, just so we know?
2: Um, You know, it, it wouldn't be unusual to have two or three. and we'll keep it at that.
0: (laughs) That's not so bad. When you mentioned sipping, it reminded me of a guest on a show we did yesterday who was talking about the fact that he's in the construction industry, I believe, and everybody's always toppling and spilling and bumping into things. So he has a grown-up sippy cup so that he can put his coffee or his soda in it and no matter who bumps into the cup, it's not going to spill all over some plans or paper or anything. It was just a funny comment. So this grown-up guy who's 70 years old now has his own dedicated sippy cup and I told him he needs to have this wonderful picture put on the side of it but but i digress thank you kareem for sharing your beverage story with us ocean Osh, ocean walton what are you drinking right now or what are you thinking about drinking
3: well bonnie at the moment i have a nice glass of fresh water um, uh, but i love express and i couldn't live without coffee that's for sure like kareem um, but my, if I have one, uh, thought around a beverage, it would be that, uh, cold beer that you have after a good, uh, work day in a camp where you've, uh, spent the day in a very, very hot, uh, in a refugee camp in, in, uh, mm. in Kenya. I'm thinking of the, the, the last one I had two weeks ago in Kakuma refugee camp after installing one of our instant network schools and you're sitting around the table with the team. And that first sip of the beer. But the most surprising aspect is probably when you ask the waiter for the beer, you'll say, do you want it cold or warm? Now, I had, before I went to Africa, I'd never heard of uh, uh, someone offering me a warm beer. But um, some people like it warm. So I've had ice in Thailand in the beer. And uh, now it's, would I like a, a warm beer? So it's not first sip of uh, of the beer, uh, the beer with uh, with the team, uh, debriefing the day and uh, and just uh, just relaxing for a bit after after a good day's work.
0: Warm and I thought warm beer was an accident rather than a choice. <laughs> I really did. <laughs> it was just
3: darn, yeah, the cooler has no, been sitting on the back the fridge of the isn't working. Isn't no, that no, it's interesting? Not the fridge isn't working.
0: Yeah, they have it's it, a choice.
3: They have it for you if you want it warm.
0: Isn't that interesting? Question for you: Is there a particular kind of beer they served you warm? Does some beer taste better warm than others? Is my question.
3: Well, I I've never had a well. I never have warm beer when I have the choice. But every country ah. has its local beer. Uh, so uh, I would say that the most famous brand in, in Kenya is Tusker. Uh, so it would be, in this case, uh, in Kukuma, it would, it would have been a, a Kukuma, uh, uh, sorry, a, uh, a Tusker, a cold Tusker beer. Um, but that's what's incredible is any country you go to, they have it. There's a local beer. You can find many of the international brands, but uh, every country has its it's uh it's um a local beer uh but uh, you know coming back to what kareem said uh i couldn't do my job without coffee as well so uh um, yeah i can i can relate to what he was saying
0: hot coffee and warm beer that's quite a combination hopefully a few hours apart alicia lenza my goodness gracious i won't ask you to top those two stories but they certainly outdid themselves so what are you drinking today what are you thinking about alicia
4: well, I guess I'll have to answer this question very literally, since immediately after this call, I've been invited by my colleagues across the hallway to a small Secht ohne Anlass celebration, which loosely translates to, come and drink some bubbly for no reason at all, um, and that is definitely an offer I cannot refuse, um, I think my colleagues actually do have some reason to celebrate because they have just gotten through another quarterly earnings process for us here at SAP, um, but i 'm happy to join them for that. Um, Zecht, for anyone who doesn 't know, is the uh, German equivalent of champagne since we cannot uh, call anything champagne that 's not uh, grown in France in the champagne mm-hmm. region. But after almost 12 years in Germany, I can say that the Germans do a pretty good sparkling wine with their Rieslings and uh, it, it compares quite nicely.
0: Well, thank you for that. I just uh, tapped that into the chat with my engineer. Come and drink some bubbly for no reason at all. That's where I'm going to put my notes. And that might have to go on Twitter, Alicia. thank You certainly did. I think the three of you did an amazing part on this. We know a lot more about the three of you. And thank you for indulging the question. Guess what? You have all earned a break. We're going to go away for about 90 seconds. I'm going to have a little chat with Kareem Ramji. And we're going to look at the notes he sent me before the show and pick out something amazing to start our round Table. Then we will have Ocean and Alicia join in and we'll go around and around and around. Our topic today is technology and education, empowering youth worldwide. Such an important topic. Great panel. We're speaking today with Kareem Ramji at Deloitte Canada, Ocean Walton at Vodafone Foundation, and Alicia Lenza at SAP CSR. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I plan to be after the break. So you're listening to another live edition of Meet the Visionary Game Changer. Shout Shout out to John Ward who is tweeting at let's see what his handle is John G Ward three if you can remember that John G Ward three and he is tweeting the words of wisdom of our panelists we've got somebody named S O M five zero five seven nine who is retweeting what I said I'm BizBreak Radio and all of our tweets today are at hashtag. S-A-P Radio. Deloitte S-A-P. Of course you're there tweeting what Kareem is saying and we appreciate that too. So anybody wants to join the party? Hashtag S-A-P Radio. We'll look for you and I will be glad to retweet. John, tell us what you're drinking today and I'll announce it after the break. We're going to take a quick one and have a hot or a cool one while we're off the air. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Bread out. <laughs>
1: it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world is at an inflection point where we capture more information than ever before and are more interconnected. While this has led to technological breakthroughs where new industries have been created, there are still new areas evolving where billions of people can be reached. All it takes is to unlock the transformative power of technological change to improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Meet the Visionary Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Meet the Visionary Game Changers.
0: And they are indeed visionaries and they are game changers. We're going to kick off our roundtable with Kareem Ramji at Deloitte Canada. Boy, we've got a lot of papers being shuffled there in the background. I don't know who's, who's doing some studying up, but I'm sure it's all important for the show. Karim, looking at your notes, I'm going to read a couple of statements here and have you dive in, and then we will ask your co-panelists to share their thoughts. You say, the advancement of educating girls has been accelerated with global incidents such as Malala, and you'll explain for those who don't recognize her name and her cause. But progress has generally been slow, and the market economy and specific IT, specifically IT businesses, have not taken advantage of the differences that an educated girl Shall we say young woman can make so let 's focus a little bit on educating girls around the world what 's going on, kareem talk to me
2: well let 's talk a little bit i 'm sure everyone 's fairly familiar with the Malala incident and uh, and Malala, who was in in uh, northern Pakistan who wanted to be educated and uh, for cultural and and religious reasons uh, she was attacked and uh, and Good news and good outcomes from that is that she was a big advocate of girls' education, simple girls' education, no matter where they are, uh, to be educated irrespective of socioeconomic status, religion, so on and so forth. I mean, it, it culminated into her winning a Nobel Prize. But, I mean, the key here is what are we doing in terms of overall girls' education? We know that uh, there's about 130 million children uh of of which 70% of them uh, are girls that are not being educated in this world. And what does that mean from a socioeconomic perspective? And how does that uh, impact us? Well, uh, an educated girl uh, increases the uh, GDP of a country by 1%. That's something significant. Uh, And we know from a business perspective to have uh, a a well-educated girl uh, that has Uh, at least 20% more income with at least one more year of primary or even 20% more with secondary education really helps. It helps uh, even from the medical perspective. At least 50% of the children uh, that they have, uh, you know, will be immunized or will have better health care. So a lot of great things that come out of educating a girl uh, not only from a social perspective, from, but also more importantly from a business perspective and economic perspective. And from an IT business perspective, we need to take greater advantage of that. How? There's various different ways, uh, ways we can do that. Certainly from a mobile economy or a mobile learning perspective, uh, supporting uh, organizations within countries uh, to help further education, not, not just girls' education, but further education, Uh, and it really impacts them on the bottom line. So Intel's done a great bunch of studies on how much, uh, a girl would, if if an investment into a girl's education, uh, would be. And certainly that's, it's going to be significant and huge wherever they are in the world, not just in third world countries. And we're talking a lot about third world countries, but also uh, here in North America, certainly in the Western world, uh, girls' education is just equally as important, and how they're going to learn is equally important, and how IT business can invest in that and, and take advantage of that.
0: Wow, that's quite a statistic. I'm going to tweet that, uh, Kareem. I'm tweeting it right now. Heard on SAP, hashtag SAP radio. Kareem Ramji, an educated girl, increases her country's GDP by 1%. Fascinating. Ocean Walton, chime in, please. Your thoughts on this? Very interesting perspective.
3: Well, I could I could only uh, uh, agree with, with Karim. I mean, uh, the, the Malala um, uh, is, is a fantastic girl. Uh, Vodafone Foundation has been supporting actually her her fund for the last uh, uh, year and a half uh, before she won the the Nobel Prize, and we wanted to 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 support her in her her uh, advocacy around access to to uh, girls to education. Um, if we look specifically at the role of ICT uh, uh, in girls' education i 'll give you one example which we 're seeing in in refugee camps and which we 're trying to to uh, support organizations uh, working in, in, uh, in the education space uh, to give equal access to girls at school is there are times of the year there's the reality of, of uh, the, 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 the culture and where uh, if a family has a choice between sending a boy or a girl to school, they are more likely to to send a boy for a number uh, of reasons. That's that's a reality. But where ICT can play a, a role is, for example, there are times in the year or times during the month where uh, girls will, will not go to school. They'll have to stay at home uh, sometimes to, to prepare, for example, festivities, uh, and that's their responsibility. Um, If you put, for example, uh, if if the uh, girl is able to bring uh, the the school to her home through, for example, um, uh, mobile devices like a tablet, if she can actually continue following the course at home while she has to stay at home. That's, that's uh, also an opportunity for when she gets back, she doesn't fall back. Uh, and uh, it's trying to address some of the, the, the realities on the ground. But um, in terms of the the objective, uh, it's, it's it definitely, you know, it's, it's a, a priority and it should be, we should do
0: more in that space, definitely. Thank you. Uh, Alicia Lenza, thoughts, please?
4: Yeah, maybe we'll just sort of bring in the corporate perspective here. I think, you know, a lot of organizations such as McKinsey have done some really interesting studies about the importance and success of getting more women into IT and more women into management positions. And I think um, educating girls, not just in general, but also, you know, from our perspective, educating girls in IT is really critical for the future success as we look to continue to drive innovation and bring various opinions and ideas to the table. Um, when you look across the board at IT companies in particular, if they have 30% of their workforce with women, that's they're doing pretty good. Um, and if you look towards the statistics around their women in leadership positions, um, if they're getting above 20%, that's that's really on the on the high side of the equation. So I think you know, it starts with the education. Um, they have to be educated and they have to learn these skills before they can start to, to, to make those impacts in, in greater organizations.
0: Thank you, Alicia. Great perspective. I want to read just a moment here, if my panelists will allow me. I found a website called dayofthegirl.org. I don't know anything about this organization. Maybe you do, but they say worldwide, girls constitute over half of the children out of school. That's worldwide. Only 30% of all girls are enrolled in secondary school. In many countries, less than one-third of university students are women. The average sub-Saharan African girl from a low-income rural household gets less than two years of schooling, never learns to read or write, to add and subtract, as opposed to the average sub-Saharan African boy who fully completes primary education. And here's, here's the reason why. The false view persists in many cultures that it is more beneficial to send the son to school because sons will stay with the family, whereas girls leave the family to join the husband's family after they get married. This reinforces gender stereotypes that a woman's place is in the home, taking care of children, cooking, cleaning, and doing other unpaid work. And and Alicia, we all know that women who work today, especially in this country, are doing all of that anyway in addition. But I digress. Kareem, <laughs> Kareem I certainly did. Kareem Ramji, I'd like you to wrap up on this topic. Thoughts on what Alicia shared and what Ocean shared and, and perhaps about what I just read from this website. Thoughts, Kareem?
2: Well, certainly the overwhelming message right now is that uh, having an educated girl or a, or a young woman, and certainly in the workforce, uh, and in leadership positions, whether it be in IT business or in business in general, starts from the investments that we make, uh, not only uh, from a personal perspective, but not only from a country perspective, but also a business perspective, resonates from a, uh, across the board, whether it be social, be economic, and certainly, uh, you know, it's a good thing to do.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. I'm ready to move on. And Ocean Walton, I'm looking at your notes here. All kinds of interesting things in here. Um, Let me go to one that has the education word in it, just so we can keep really on target. You can take this anywhere you'd like to go. You see, education is often seen as a cost. Rather than an investment, whether we're looking at sustainable economic development of countries, peacekeeping and fighting against extremism or improving health and life expectancy, education does play a key role. By investing more today, it could save money and invaluable lives tomorrow. Great statement. Ocean, why don't you expand us for us? Take it anywhere you want to go.
3: Okay. Broad topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i i i think um w- when we're looking at uh uh you know the, the the whole debate that even in in western countries uh so i'm originally from from france uh where uh education uh is free there are different models where you have to pay for education etc without going too much into into the the the, the, the model uh it, it, it's often seen in when uh, you when you're in the field. It's often seen as education building schools, etc. is more seen as a cost. What we're going to try to do at the Vodafone Foundation with UNHCR and other partners is is to come up with the research over the next year on the impact of when you invest one dollar in education, uh, whether linking it to technology uh, or not. Uh, in ge- in general, in education, there will be a piece in, on technology, obviously, uh, because we really believe that technology can play a key role. But how how does that impact uh, the uh, spendings in health, for example? Uh, how does it impact the other sectors? And I think that uh, there, there there has been some work on that, but if for a number of reasons if a, if a child is better educated uh he or she will have a uh, better chance in life of uh developing and growing the country he'll have a better uh he'll have, be less likely to uh listen to uh extremists. And I think that in parallel to some of it, we're looking at the peacekeeping, et cetera, in, in parallel to the, some of the military operations that's, that are taking place, which are uh, probably necessary, there needs to be uh, more investment. Uh, and if you compare the budgets, uh, and the spendings in uh, in 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 the other areas versus education, uh, I really think that we can do more in that space so that 's really what I meant is that is it by investing hopefully that that Report will uh, that we will publish next year um, we're we're aiming to to publish it at the world humanitarian summit which is in in may two thousand and sixteen but hopefully that report will show that um it, it's not a cost you you need to uh, educate. Mm-hmm. The, the next generation, and the better, uh, the, the, the more investment you put in, the better impact and the better lives these people will have, and, and the better they'll be able to develop their, their, their countries, but it, it also applies to, to uh, developed countries, so um, that, that's what I meant by the, 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 this, um, this thought.
0: Thank you very much. And education is a cost in terms of somebody has to pay for something to happen. I'm reading on this website as well. It says in more than 100 countries, school is not free. And many parents simply cannot afford the tuition or the cost of uniforms. That's another subject. Alicia Lenz, I'd love to have you chime in. And, and maybe, Alicia, you can talk about corporate investment in education, which is one of the questions I posed in my opening, Alicia, where I said, is it just parents, government, and schools, or... What's the role of the private sector? So, Alicia, I'll let you tackle some of that however you'd like to. Go ahead, Alicia.
4: Yeah, first off, I'm looking forward to seeing the results of that
0: study. I think uh, they'll be useful for a lot of people in our our
4: business. Um, I think when you talk about it in the corporate um, context, uh, we have to look at investment in education uh, as an investment in the building of a sustainable business. Um, when we sort of make our case for why education is the core focus of our CSR program, um, we look at, you know, the current situation out there in terms of today's youth. Uh, the One billion young people in the world, 85% in developing countries, 90 million unemployed, 300 million working poor. Um, And the UN really cites these dynamics as a great risk uh, for global security and, you know, the the areas in which we do business. Um, At the same time, we also know that particularly on IT, we are going to be facing major skills shortages. Um, McKinsey estimates that there will be 40 million um, STEM jobs that won't be able to be filled So for us, it's really about, you know, what can we do as a corporation to bridge that gap so that we know that SAP, if we want to be around for another 42 years, um, it's, you know, we need to do our part um, to continue to have the right people for our workforce, for our customers, for our partners, and for the future growth markets where, where SAP needs to continue growing.
0: Thank you, Alicia. Kareem Ramji, I'm going to circle around the table and come back to you. Kareem is with Deloitte Canada. Kareem, thoughts on what we're talking about. Education is an investment, not just a cost. Talk to us.
2: Yeah, you know, when, uh, when countries start to put their budgets together, whether it's a third-world country or a first-world country, uh, they have some really tough decisions to do uh, and, and make. And when you start going down their list, they're looking at infrastructure they're looking at social programs. They're looking at military. And education certainly on the list, and that's where that, that cost factor comes in. So when I think of cost, I think of it in two different ways. How much is it going to actually cost me, or how much is it actually uh, going to impact me if I don't do it? And a lot of businesses ah. think of it that way as well. Mm-hmm. So when you don't actually invest into uh, education, how, what other collateral impacts will there be? And what I, when I talk about collateral impacts, and uh, Ocean mentioned it as well, what other things that are not going to happen? So there's going to be an impact certainly on health care. We know that, that education is closely tied with health care, irrespective of if it's girls or boys or, or at what level, uh, the, that impacts your socioeconomic status. We know that the, the less educated you are, the more impact there is on your GDP. Right. And the GDP is a direct line to uh, organizations like ours, like SAP, uh, even certainly organizations like Ocean that uh, look to funding certain programs, whether it be in the infrastructure and so on and so forth. So, you know, not investing into your children's education is an impact. Uh, let's look at Africa, for example, uh, certainly even in uh, in Kenya, for example, and you can look up the stats that I just looked up, uh, is is a $1 billion impact into the GDP. So they're not investing right there. So there's a lack of investment because kids are not being educated. So the priorities that countries need to go through, and equally so, as, uh, as it was mentioned, uh, that companies need to look at is, like, where do I need to invest my dollars? And where does it make most sense to do so? Well, certainly education's got to be higher up on the list than uh, than a lot of the things that are on the list today, and because we know it has a lot more collateral impact than a lot of the uh, the things that we're investing in today.
0: Thank you very much, Ocean. Your topic. You want to wrap this up for us?
3: Well, I I I, I liked uh, uh, Kareem's uh, thoughts on how much does it cost if we don't do it so that's mm-hmm. really uh you know it's a powerful a uh, powerful quote um, on on the investment side of things if uh, when the un published the report on uh that if you invest $1 in disaster preparedness it saves $10 when you're responding to the emergencies now they were having huge challenges to fund disaster preparedness because uh, people don't want to fund uh in the event that it happens they they'll you you get the money when it happens, and we've all seen images of the Nepal earthquake, etc., And it's it's not too challenging to to uh, raise money uh, when the emergency happens. But to actually be able to use efficiently money, you need it in advance, and you need to be uh, to 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 prepare and, and lessen the impact. So saying one dollar invested in disaster preparedness saves ten dollars uh, was a game changer for the UN in terms of getting resources and you the UN and the National community and corporates, etc, uh, all, all those who are involved on the ground when when disasters happen, so I, I really think that when we 're looking at refugee camps where we work in, in particular, education is the one thing that children or families can take wherever they go. so remember these are people who've left. Uh, who fled their country with nothing in their bags, and um, uh, uh, when they go, they have an aspiration of of a better life, of hopefully going home one day. The one thing they'll be able to take home is education to rebuild their lives. So that's, I, I think, that's really why education should be seen as as an investment um, rather than a, than a cost. But yeah, what's the cost of not doing it?
0: I love that statement, too. That resonated with me, and that's a great way of putting it. What's the price of doing nothing or saying no? Very, very powerful. Thank you very much. Alicia Lenz, I'm looking at your very... Very copious and fact-filled notes you sent me with great appreciation. And I want to talk about uh, coding for the digital economy. I'm going to read a statement here, but quickly, Alicia, I want to bounce this back to something in my opening. I said, on the other side of the education equation, are there enough jobs available for youth who do get an education in third-world countries? So the question is, are we educating them in the right topics, in the right skill sets? So let me now forward down to Alicia's notes, and you say... Recognition at the government level that digital skills are going to either help or hurt economies in terms of their ability to innovate and grow no matter the sector. In Europe, for example, the EU Commission is very active in promoting the digital agenda. Alicia, why don't you get us a little more depth on this topic, please?
4: Yeah, so I mean, I think, and this this is a topic that actually came up a, a lot this this week as SAP talked about our earnings. But um, SAP is not the only company in the IT industry that's really moving towards the you know creating value in the digital economy. And we know that really there's no industry that is going to be remain untouched by the changes that are coming in software software and sort of this unending need for meaningful data. Um, And we know that our customer needs in terms of big data and cloud um, are are growing. And we are really at this sort of critical moment where the business needs are in many ways ahead of sort of the core curriculums um, that are are happening in many advanced economies, not to mention the emerging economies. Um, So it's not just us as a company who's recognized this, um, but governments are seeing it as well. Um, and you mentioned a, a program that we've been very actively involved in with the EQ Commission, which is EU Code Week, um, and programs that they have about raising awareness among governments and boosting coding skills among youth and teachers um, to really you know, drive this topic uh, throughout throughout the population. Last year they engaged over 100,000 children in 38 European countries um, in coding and, and skills workshops. Uh, We as SAP, you know, we're really happy to be part of that, and and we took those learnings and we looked to some major investments that we are making in the African continent, and right now we're in the process of launching an Africa Code Week, um, looking at the continent and saying, look, they have the largest and youngest workforce in the world, and the digital skills gap there is getting wider as we speak, and so... When we look to October, um, we have a goal to educate uh, 20,000 kids in coding workshops across 15 countries, and I think this is really just a door opener to start to get these kids excited about what the possibilities are and uh, bring them down this road and to be productive members of, of our future digital economy.
0: Thank you very much, Alicia. Wonderful. Uh, I have a background in coding. I don't know if you knew that. I started out as a, a mainframe programmer. Oh, back in the day, my God, it was in the 70s when, in my training, you come I a long way, sta-
4: Bonnie. <laughs> oh, honey,
0: have I ever? I had to stand on a step stool to put the disk pack into the drawer when I was studying my uh, computer programming and my uh, my programming and my operations degrees. And it was back in the day, Alicia, probably a hundred years before you were born, when the computer room was this huge warehouse with a floor. You could lift up the tiles with a magnetic uh, device and all of the wiring was underneath. The machines were huge. Bells and whistles and, and noises and sounds and lights popping. And it was like going into another country when you went into, quote unquote, the computer room. That was before cell phones. That was before laptops. That was before personal computers. Anybody on this call have a parent who remembers those days? <laughs> Kareem? Your, would your parents remember that or, or Ocean? I know you're all very, very young. Anybody go back to the, the days in the 70s when we were just starting out?
2: I've heard of it. I think there's a documentary <laughs> I saw somewhere. You're killing
0: me. You're <laughs> killing me. What, my point in saying it was that coding, Alicia, was so exciting. I was a COBOL programmer and a PL1 programmer and I studied assembly language. It was so exciting and I can only imagine today it would be very exciting for young people to say, wow, I get to create this and be part of something through these skills. I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects of education is learning to be part of the digital economy. Let me circle this back to Kareem Ramji. Any thoughts on what Alicia shared with us? Uh, sorry to uh, go so far afield, but I had to get that in. Go ahead, Kareem.
2: No, I mean, certainly it, uh, it's... It resonates in, in terms of today's life. My, my 11-year-old, uh, who's uh, when when I sent her to school just last year, uh, a lot of the work that she does is really online, and it's and it's starting to get that way uh, because it's not just reading, writing, arithmetic. It's also about coding. So you know, and, and just different ways of learning and different uh, understandings and modules of learning has has changed over time, and it's certainly changing not only in North America, but around the world. I mean, there's a really good study done uh, by uh, Deloitte Press, Lindsay Ledge, and Tiffany W. Fishman uh, talked a lot about entrepreneurial learning and how they're bringing uh, young folks who have a different mod- modules of learning, you know, different than with the way I learned it, certainly the way you learned it, uh, Bonnie, and anybody else, mm-hmm. uh, to, to how they're doing it today. And it's called Learning Lab. So it's an opportunity for them to... Not only entrepreneurially learn, allow them to make mistakes because that's really important. You know, we talk a lot about innovation, but it's it's hard to innovate and uh, and fail. I don't think your boss allows you to do that, right? But uh, allow you to learn on the job and and uh, start to learn that you know fourth or fifth language, which is coding, mm-hmm. and it's going to be really important in the digital economy because if you don't know how to do those simple fundamental things you will struggle in business and uh, you know as as was mentioned that uh, SAP or Deloitte or a lot of different uh, major organizations are really focused on on that and, uh, and and to drive teaching kids how to do that at an early age is fundamentally important if they want to get ahead in business life.
0: Absolutely. And I did look up Tiffany Fishman while you were speaking, Kareem, and I'm looking at a tweeter. She says, student relationship with university will evolve from one time to lifetime education as a service model. I think that's probably somewhat applicable to what we're talking about here. Thank you so much. And let's turn this over to Ocean Walton at Vodafone Foundation. Ocean, any thoughts on this? We're almost ready to move into our crystal ball predictions round in about three minutes. So Ocean, I want you to Talk to us about the coding aspect, and then we'll let Alicia wrap up this topic before we start predicting. Go ahead, Ocean.
3: I think that was very interesting. And the thing is, in for example, in in primary school in in France, they're they're actually uh, introducing uh, coding lessons. So they're they're uh, starting to realize uh, the the importance of of preparing the kids for the future. When when I was in primary school, mobile phones didn't even exist. So, uh, you know, it, it, things are really changing in, in terms of uh, uh, coding and uh, teaching children. I'm, I'm coming back to, to Kakuma refugee camp. I can see a lot of kids in Kakuma refugee camp wanting to learn, and actually, they could easily get a job after that, working remotely from Kakuma. Uh, for companies like SAP or Vodafone or others. Uh, you can imagine being a, a child, the average stay of a, of a refugee in a camp is about 20 years. So that means that a kid will do its instarist schooling in the camp and, and and stay in the camp or go home, or if they're really lucky, get, get resettled to, to another country. So that's where technology and the development uh, uh, of these, these regions and these camps and empowering the, 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 refugees, uh, is really, really important because if, you know, with technology today, uh, we work from home, we have access to, um, mm-hmm. uh, communications all around where we travel. Uh, imagine if you could actually give jobs to refugees doing coding, doing database, uh, in refugee camps. That would be very, very powerful and be a, be a game changer. So I can totally relate to, to what Alicia was saying.
0: Indeed, very, very good information. Thank you, Alicia Lenza. Why don't you wrap this up for us? I'll give you about, oh, well, let's see, a minute and a half or so to wrap up this topic before we go to predictions. Go ahead, Alicia. Sure. I mean, I think um, the the ability to really sort of teach this. You know,
4: future-looking skill in sort of hands-on, playful ways has a lot of potential, and it it, it also hits on something which we haven't talked about, which is uh, in detail anyway, which is the delivery model. And I think there's so much potential, particularly in these types of engagements for e-learning uh, type of uh, type of mm-hmm. situations where you can bring in a lot of elements of the classroom. I mean, the the, the opportunities there are. are advancing very rapidly in terms of how you can bring in videos and self-tests and discussion forums to make e-learning so much more interactive. And even if, you know, you're doing things around teaching teachers and really being able to scale these types of skills, that has amazing potential, particularly for what Kareem was also just talking about in terms of reaching populations that, uh, you know, don't necessarily have as much resources in terms of hands-on teaching. So I think uh, I'll leave it at that, um, which will also carry into some of my crystal ball predictions.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yes, we do have a lot more to talk about, but it's only an hour, and you know what? We're going to whisper on Romana and Nicola to bring you all back for part two. It's really up to them because it's their editorial calendar. But if not, I have some ideas and I'll be in touch. So let's circle this back to Kareem Ramji at Deloitte Canada. Kareem, I can give you 90 seconds on the dot for your predictions. I love the year 2020. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Tell me how far in the future you can see and what will be different about technology and education empowering youth worldwide. 90 seconds, Kareem, go.
2: Okay. Uh, well, if I'm going to predict 2020 or beyond, I have to look about 10 or 20 years back. And 10 or 20 years back, uh, business was all about uh, convergence and conglomeration, and, and so was kind of the education. Everyone was kind of doing all the same things and trying to be everything to everyone it's not that way 20 years from now. It's not going to be that way because we live in different economies. We have about three or four different generations we have to tend to, three or four different markets we need to tend to. So I think the way business is going to survive and certainly education in business is going to survive is going to be to be specialized and to be simplified. That's that's the only way it's going to work and that's the only way good businesses are going to survive and to have their product services as well as their educational investments into specialized and simplified uh, modes. And that's what I predict in in, uh, 2020 and beyond.
0: Thank you so much. Let's move to Ocean Walton at Vodafone Foundation. Ocean, 90 seconds predictions. Let's hear it.
3: Well, I think the same way we're connecting instant network schools together Across the countries and across the refugee camps between Kenya, Congo, Tanzania, uh, where you have teachers, uh, teaching several schools at the same time because there's a lack of teachers. I think that uh, uh, your kids, our kids, eh, by maybe t- not 2020, but maybe 2030, uh, will be learning online with children from, from other countries. Uh, th- that would be my, my prediction. In terms of an aspiration, if I can add that to, uh, to, to the, uh, kind of crystal ball mm-hmm. predictions, uh, mm-hmm. yes. I, I hope that we reach our, our, our target, uh, by 2020 of connecting 3 million refugee children, uh, to online education. Uh, so uh, we're working hard towards that. It's a uh, a big challenge, but um, we're working with partners, and we'll welcome any any support uh, to reach our our goal.
0: Thank you very much. We appreciate the aspirations, Alicia Lenza. I saved. Oh, uh, let's see. You can have ninety seconds too. So go ahead, predictions, Alicia.
4: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. I think uh, yeah, as, as Ocean just uh, just mentioned, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Um, E-learning, online education is here to stay. It's going to continue to get better, um, adapt more classroom-type approaches and become more accessible. Uh, You're going to see more gamification coming into these types of activities. Mm -hmm. You're going to see more opportunities mobile. And companies are going to continue to have an interest um, in playing a role in education along with governments, along with schools, along with nonprofits. That's not going to change.
0: Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Appreciated. I have a great shout out of appreciation to Kareem Ramji at Deloitte Canada. Kareem, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for being so articulate and contributing to our topic. Ocean Walton at Vodafone Foundation. Delighted to meet you and thank you as well for your great information and talking points. Alicia Lenza delighted. And by the way, somebody at SAPCSR has been tweeting a lot of what you've been saying on the show, Alicia. That's handle SAPCSR. We have to do a shout out to John G. Ward 3, by the way. I asked John for what he's drinking, and a little belatedly, John, but we will announce it on the air. He's drinking Wawa coffee. Those of you around the world, that's spelled just the way it sounds, W-A-W-A. It's a Philadelphia area favorite. Those are little convenience stores called Wawa, and that's what they like to say about their coffee. So thank you to our three panelists. A shout-out to Romana Reitinger, who is working with the team that sponsors our series here, Meet the Visionary Game Changers. And Nicola Bilcliffe was the organizer of this panel. Nicola, great job. Really good panelists. Very articulate, very informative, and interesting people, too. So everybody go out and drink something special. A shout-out also to Brad at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. and This is the end of my broadcast week. We'll be back early next week with another round of all kinds of Game Changers show next week. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.